Ecclesiastes. If you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes, I encourage you to do it. Such a great book. And we're going to read a few verses beginning with verse 9 of chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And then to John. Jesus is talking to his disciples uh, on the night in which he was going to be betrayed uh, after they'd had the last supper together. And he says this, beginning in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And then to Acts chapter 4, and I want you to notice something in uh, this first, uh, the first verse um, that, I, that I read here. Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 23. Uh, Peter and John has just appeared before the council uh, to answer for the fact that they healed the lame beggar. Uh, at the gate and are proclaiming the name of Jesus. They just get released, uh, and then we pick up the story from there. Verse 23. When Peter and John were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. May God bless to us his reading from his holy word. 
Well, somebody had asked me uh, to talk on friendship. And so, you know, I thought uh, I would do a, a week on friendship. And then I, I looked into it a little bit and I thought, you know, I'm not going to do this in a week because we'd be here for an hour and a half, two hours uh, at least. So, uh, so I'm going to split it over two weeks. But in preparation, you know, I thought that I would find some of the wisest, uh, best things about friendship I could find on the internet. Because that's where we all go, right? You know, we don't first go to the Bible for anything. We go to the internet. And so after spending uh, a lot of time searching, I found some extremely profound things about friendship that I wanted to share. An old friend will help you move. A good friend will help you move a dead body. How about this one? True friends don't judge each other. They judge other people together. I want our friendship to be the reason you look down at your phone and smile just before you walk into a pole. Or a true friend is someone who thinks you're a good egg, even though they know you're slightly cracked. Uh, this one is from the, the great wise sage named George Carlin, uh, if you've never heard of him. And, and uh, he says this, One good reason to have only a small circle of friends is that three out of four murders are committed by people who know the victim. I thought that was good. Or this, this Chinese proverb, Chinese proverb, do not use an axe to remove a fly from your friend's forehead. The Chinese, they, they know something. They know something there. Okay, this one. A stranger stabs you in the front. A false friend stabs you in the back. A true friend, true friends, real friends, poke each other with straws. Okay, Ralph Waldo Emerson, great poet, he said, it's one of the blessings of old friends that you can afford to be stupid with them. I like that one. I think that's true. And, and this is one of my favorites. I got a few more I'll share next week. This is one of my absolute favorites. Friends come and go like the waves of the ocean. But the true ones stay like an octopus on your face. <laughs> so, wise advice from the internet for good, healthy friendships. You know, in, in all honesty, having healthy friendships, good social connections, is one of the biggest factors that help to protect us and enable us to face adversity and build resilience against the challenges that we face in life. It's so important that we have friends to support us and that we make the intention to, uh, to stay connected with people. But you know what? Everybody wants meaningful friendships. I, I've not heard anybody that says, no, I don't need a friend. I don't want a friend. Everybody wants friendships. But the problem is, I believe that so few people know what friendship is all about. 
And we really need to break away from some of the stuff that's around us in the world, some of the false ideas of friendship that we get in the world around us, and really press in to what friendship is all about and building true, lasting friendships with other people around us. We especially need friends who are Christians. We need friends in general, but we need friends who are Christians, especially if we want to dive into the different that's in the world today. We cannot forget normal and dive into different if we're alone. We have to have the support of friendships. And even more for us as the people of God, I believe that our friendships and the quality of our friendships demonstrate to the world the truth about Jesus. But we have to have those friendships. We have to know what it's about, and we have to nurture those friendships. And we're going to talk today, and we're going to talk next week, about how to do this. Now, if we want to have the kinds of friendships that the Bible is talking about, the real, authentic Christian friendships that we need to dive into different, we need to begin by opening our eyes to the power of Christian friendship. I think we've actually underestimated it. We've neglected it. We've, we've just looked at the church as a place to come in and go out of, uh, something that might meet a few of our needs, without realizing the genuine power of Christian friendship. And the Scriptures today show that power. I could preach a sermon on each one of the Scriptures, but I'm not going to. I'm going to give you a quick summary. What we learned from John chapter 15 is that friendship in Christ is the source of love, revelation, fruitfulness, and answered prayer. It's having friendship in Jesus Christ is where we discover what love is all about, where God gives us revelation about His will and His desires for our lives, where we come to a place of fruitfulness in our lives, where we really bear fruit. You can't bear fruit alone. And where we experience answered prayer from God that happens in the context of friendship in Jesus Christ, Christian friendship. In Acts chapter 4, it's very telling that Peter and John, as soon as they're released, what do they do? They go to be with their friends. They go to be with their own. And we see that friendship for them is the basis of worship. They worship the Lord. It's the basis of effectual prayer. And it's the basis for the release of powers for miracles. I sometimes wonder if one of the reasons we don't see more mighty miracles happening through the body of Christ is because we have not really nurtured Christian friendships. But Peter and John show us that friendship combined with the faith, our faith in Jesus Christ is a very powerful force. It's the place of our worship. It's where we have prayer that's answered. The place was shaken. And we see miracles happen. It's a place of power. In Ecclesiastes, we learn that our friendship in Christ is the foundation for our productivity, our stability, and for having prevailing strength in the face of difficult challenges. All of these things are blessings that come through friendship. I mean, uh, 
Solomon talks about the threefold cord of friendship is not easily broken. It's something that is inherently powerful. And so if we're going to march, if we're going to move into these kinds of friendships in our lives, we must begin by opening our eyes to see how vitally important they are. They are worth our energy. They are worth our time. They are worth our resources. They are worth our commitments. They are worth everything to us. And we need to see that. Because too often, it's been too easy for us just to see friendships as things we use and walk away from. In fact, the second thing, if we are going to see the power of friendship revealed in us, if we're going to experience the benefits of that friendship, we must actively resist worldly notions of friendship. And I'd like to challenge that I think that the majority of notions in the minds of Christians about what friendship is are worldly notions of friendship. I mean, first of all, we have these romanticized notions of friendship. The romanticized notions like friendship, real friendship should be effortless. I don't know about you, but I've not had a single effortless friendship beginning with the friendship in my marriage. Something that seems effortless is often something that we've spent a lot of time perfecting. You know, people who play an instrument, if you, if you look at somebody playing a guitar and you say, wow, that, they play that really effortless, I guarantee you there was a lot of effort behind the effortlessness of playing the guitar. If you see any relationship that seems to be effortless, there was a lot of effort that went in to that relationship and preparing yourself to be the kind of person that could be in that relationship. Or another romanticized notion, you know, that friends were going to have soulmates. And this comes with, you know, men and women together, or even men and men together, or women and women together, soulmates. You know what makes you a soulmate? It's when you're together in Jesus Christ. Because we're united in Christ. That's what a soulmate is, two people who are genuinely united in Christ. Or how about, you know, we're going to be bosom buddies or BFFs. You know, and that only lasts as long as it's convenient for most people. It comes and goes. These are romanticized notions of friendship that really we need to get rid of. But we also need to get rid of transactional notions of friendships. Because so many people today base their friendship on what am I going to get out of it? One of the things that breaks my heart, and it's not about friendship so much, but I've seen this so many times. How many times have you seen, either on TV or talking to somebody, real life or imaginary life, you know, some woman say, well, I want to have a child because it's somebody that's going to care for me. Well, that's actually saying I want to have a child because I want that child to meet my needs. But you know what? If you're a parent, your responsibility is to meet your child's needs, not for your child to meet your needs. If you're a friend... If you have the idea that I want a friend to meet my needs, what you're saying is I want a friend who will act like a prostitute because I want to give the friend a little bit and then I expect to get something back out of the bit that I give. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want to prostitute my friendships. It's not about what I get. Now, I will get a blessing for being a friend, but it's not a transaction. And a lot of times we think that friendships need to be reciprocal. And there is some reciprocal nature to friendship. But let me tell you, as a friend, I don't always get back what I give. And there are many times when I get back a lot more than I give. It's not about reciprocity. Us giving each other, you know, enough. Or we talk a lot about business friendships. But you know, business friendships are about transaction. They're not real friendships. It's like they make you feel like a friend so that they can get your money. It's a transactional thing. Just spending your time or resources on someone is not friendship. Again, if you're spending your time or resources on someone because you think you're going to get something out of it, then you're pretending like they're a prostitute. Or just being a consumer is not friendship. We don't consume our friends, but a lot of people do. They put it in that kind of environment. And there's also a lot of false notions of friendship in the world around us. I mean, this whole idea that I can have casual friends. There's nothing casual about real friendship. Real friendship requires work and intention. It doesn't just happen casually. Or here is a big one, and I really, really, really want to hit this, this whole idea of friends with benefits. Now, I'm not going to go in much deeper because you adults, you know what I'm talking about, and the kids don't need to know what I'm talking about. But friends with benefits. You know, friendship has nothing to do with sex. Marriage has to do with sex. And we need to start getting that clear in our minds. You can have friendship without having sex. And especially man-woman friendships or man-man friendships or woman-woman friendships. Friendship is not about sex. And you can have very deep, meaningful, close, bonding relationships, friendships with people of the opposite sex or the same sex without having sex. Really important for us to understand this. And we must beware of sexualizing any friendship in our lives, even a dating relationship. A dating relationship is about building a friendship that can be a foundation for marriage. It's not about testing each other out and taking each other for a joyride. And we can have deep, lasting, meaningful friendships. In fact, God intends for us to have deep, lasting, meaningful friendships with people of the same sex without confusing it with some form of same-sex attraction. I love what David said about Jonathan. After Jonathan died, he soliloquized Jonathan. You can see this in the Old Testament. And he said, Jonathan, your love for me was better than the love of a woman. I've got a good friend named Bill. Many of you have interacted with Bill if you've been in on Thursday nights at the House of Prayer. Uh, He joins us frequently from Arkansas in the United States. And you know, there have been times when Bill and I have been together and our fellowship has been so close 
that I said, you know, I know exactly what Paul was saying about David in that moment. But there was no, it has nothing to do with sex. It has to do with the depth of connection that we have in the Spirit of God. And that is true for us men, men, women, women, and even men, women. We can have a depth of connection that has nothing to do with sex. In fact, that is some of the most fulfilling and satisfying connections we have. But the moment you sexualize it is the moment it becomes distorted. Do not let it happen. And do not be deceived by the world that will tell you that if you have that level of friendship, that somehow it must mean that you have a same-sex attraction. That's a lie. It's a lie. And we need to expose it as the lie that it is. We don't have such thing as friends with benefits. That does not exist And where people try to make it exist, ultimately it distorts genuine friendship and the depth of friendship that we can have. And I tell you, as somebody who's had that depth of friendship, that is some of the most meaningful connections we can have in life. We want those and they will last for years. As my friendship with Bill has lasted more than 30 years. And that's what God intends for us. Another kind of false friendship is the whole idea of Facebook friends, any kind of virtual friends. You don't really have virtual friends. The friends that you have have to be real friends, friends that you are with. Now we're living in a time where, yes, we're having to use Zoom and things like that, but that doesn't make our friendships virtual. Zoom is just a temporary replacement for that face-to-face connection that we will have. And thank God we have things like Zoom to help us have those connections. So we must actively resist these worldly notions of friendship because they will distort friendship and they will undermine your ability to have real friendships in your life. The third thing we need to do is to actively discern and defend real friendship in every sphere of life. Now this is friendship with Christians and with non-Christians. You know, a Christian can be a friend with a non-Christian in in a general sense of that word. So in order to actively discern and defend real friendship, we need to practice friendship. So let me give you a definition of friendship. Friendship is welcoming people into your life, showing them affection, love, kindness, and generosity while creating a safe place for them to be open and honest so they can thrive as a person. It's welcoming people in your life, showing them kindness, affection, generosity, love, and creating a safe place for them to be themselves with you. And we need to practice that. We need to practice that by welcoming people actively into our lives. And our goal is to get to a place of mutual friendship where we welcome them and they welcome us. And we even need this with non-Christians, understand. It's one of the primary ways that non-Christians can see the love and experience the love of Jesus Christ in us. And we also need to be aware then 
of our circles of friendship. Because that, this can easily distort our concept of friendship. We think that we need to be friends with everybody, but it's not true. Studies have shown, and I'm going to use slightly different numbers. Uh, if you want to research this, it's called the Dunbar number. Uh, you can research Dunbar number on Google and learn more than you ever wanted to know about it. But basically, most human beings, the most number of people that we can have where we know their name and we know something about them is 120. And that's usually our big circle of friends. These are social friends. These are people that we might know that, hey, even sometimes we might go out and and have a, a pizza with or something like that. But then, smaller than that, most of us really can only have 12 good friends or personal friends. Notice it wasn't an accident that Jesus picked 12 to be with him. Uh, And by the way, if you want to see the 120, you can see it at the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, After Jesus rose from the dead uh, and ascended into heaven, there were about 120 of those guys gathered together. So Jesus had 12 close friends, uh, and, uh, and that's what we would call our good friends, uh, our close friends, we might say. That would be about 12. And then most of us can only have three intimate friends. These are what we'd say close personal friends. These are friends, you know your intimate friend because you can be authentically yourself in an unfiltered way. You know, I've got a few friends that I can be stupid with. I've got a few friends that I can say really idiotic things uh, and they don't dismiss me. Those are really close personal friends. And most of us can only have three at the most. Some of us only have one. And that's okay. So if we remember three, 12, and 120, that helps us to understand as we're working toward building friendships. Uh, friendships that really have some value, have some meaning. But not only do we need to discern and defend real friendship in every sphere of life, and you can have these friends at work, you can have these friends uh, that you meet socially, you can have these friends even with church, uh, you can have these kinds of friends that that are there. Excuse me. Uh, But we also must actively seek and fully embrace Christian friendship as the highest form of friendship. Now we know the definition of friendship, you know, welcoming other people in our lives, showing them affection, kindness, uh, creating a safe place for them to be themselves. Christian friendship takes us a step further. It's the kind of friendship that Jesus showed his disciples. When he said there in John 15, hey guys, I'm not going to call you servants anymore because you are my friends. You are my friends. Jesus was exemplifying, was demonstrating the real power and depth of Christian friendship. Christian friendship is about the grace you give more than anything you receive. It's not about receiving anything. Now, Jesus was showing the friendship, not because he needed, as God's son, he didn't need our friendship, 
but he chose our friendship. He was complete in himself, but he chose to have these friendships. Christian friendship in this way is a gift of grace that you choose to give to others, but others must choose to receive. It's a gift of grace. We're giving other people grace, but we can't force it on people. They have to choose to receive it. It's a bit like what Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 10 when he sent them out to go two by two into villages. He said, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. So if your gift of friendship, if this gift of grace, it rests upon somebody so that they open their lives to you and they welcome that gift of grace into their lives, then you know you have the basis for a very solid experience of Christian friendship. And we must understand as Christians, and this is very, very important in this, in this day, that if your gift of friendship rests upon someone and is genuinely received by that person, then you must not take it away. I mean, there are Christians who are ghosting other Christians. There are Christians who say, well, you know, I don't want to really be friends with you anymore, and they walk away from that friendship. There are Christians who get offended, and they say, oh, I'm not going to, I can't handle it. I don't want to be your friend anymore. And we, once we give the grace of friendship, and once that friendship is received, it shouldn't be taken away. We don't want Jesus to take away his friendship with us when we mess up, as we do almost every single day. And we must not remove that friendship from other people, except under the most grievous circumstances and behaviors. In Psalm 41, David was talking about a situation. He said, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So this was a close personal friend who betrayed David and actively and persistently went against him to harm him. Now that's a time when you might have to withdraw the grace of friendship. Or in another situation, Psalm 55 my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. In other words, this guy was out to harm those people who were called his friends. And when that happens, yes, we might have to step away. But frankly, there's a lot of times when we are withdrawing the grace of friendship simply because we're a little offended or the person didn't give us what we thought that they should give us or they didn't spend the time with us that we thought that they should spend and we get offended by that and we say, oh, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. That's sinful and wrongful behavior that we need to repent of. And we need to understand that Christian friendship, this friendship as a gift of grace, it always has a cost, at least initially, that seems disproportionate to what you perceive you're receiving. When you give your friendship, when you give that gift of grace to other people, when you open your life, you welcome them in, it will cost you something 
and it will cost you more than what you think you're receiving, and that's by design, because it costs Jesus more. Understand, it costs Jesus more. Your friendships make demands on you. And we need to embrace that reality, because a lot of us don't. And this friendship is a gift of grace. You know what? It doesn't happen because you have a lot of really great partying experiences together. It doesn't happen because you've taken a great holiday together and you feel good, you know, hanging out together. This friendship as a gift of grace is nurtured by the patterns of our lives, by repetition, by sharing in the everyday ordinary. Now, I remember the time that I knew that I could marry Karen. And it was when we were driving to university together. uh, And she was driving. We were sitting in the car. And we were completely silent for probably 45 minutes. And it felt completely comfortable. And I thought, wow, I could marry this girl. I'd already decided that, so it's probably a good thing. Your great friends, they're the friends that you do everyday things with. You go out, you have a cup of coffee. You go out for a pint. You have lunch together. You just hang out. And it happens as you do this and continue to do this week by week, month by month. You share in every day in ordinary things. You go, you hang out, you watch a little TV together. You watch a game of football together. You know what makes a roller coaster a lot of fun? Really a lot of fun? It's going on a roller coaster with a good friend. So you can laugh at how much they're screaming. Right? You can laugh at that look of terror in their eyes. Now, how can you do that? It's because you've built this friendship, you've built this relationship. Every time I've gone on a roller coaster, there have been a lot of people screaming. And you know what? I haven't cared a bit for almost any of them. Doesn't mind that they're screaming. I don't pay attention to their screams. It's only the scream of the person sitting next to me who's my friend that really makes a difference. In other words, the high points of our lives, the times where we we have peak experiences that seem to give a lot of value and meaning and joy, to our existence, you know what? Those peak experiences are always founded upon the normal, the pattern, the repetition, sharing in the everyday, things that seem to be boring and mundane. As we give each other grace, day after day, week after week, month after month, we build solid Christian friendships that will endure. And as we do that, we become stronger. And not only do we become stronger individually, but the body of Christ becomes stronger, more effective, more fruitful. You know, Jesus demonstrated the model of real friendship. But oftentimes what we think that Jesus did was die on the cross, which he did do, okay? But that wasn't the full demonstration of his friendship. Jesus demonstrated his friendship by becoming a human being through his incarnation. Jesus, as the Word, was fully God. 
He didn't need anything. Jesus was complete in Himself, and yet He condescended to us. He came to this earth, became one of us, uh, became flesh and blood as we are. In fact, He became like us in every single way, except He was without sin. He did that as a demonstration of His friendship. That's the kind of friendship that Jesus has for us, and that's the kind of friendship that we have for others, where we lay down our lives for our friends, not only our physical lives, but other aspects of our lives as well. One of the greatest testimonies of the truth of Jesus Christ is seeing Christian friendship in action. And that Christian friendship, as we live it out in Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, through the power that Jesus Christ gives us, as we live it out, day by day, that kind of friendship will tell the world that there is a Lord, there is a Savior, there is a King who's a friend, and His name is Jesus, and you should follow Him. You should follow Him because He loves you just as we love each other. Father God, I thank You for all that You've done for us, for all that You do in us and through us in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, for every single person that's heard this word, that you'd help them to internalize it and make a choice today to be a friend. Lord, show them to whom they need to reach out in the spirit of friendship. Show them the people whom they need to welcome into their lives as friends. Show them how to grow in friendship and build friendship and see friendships become true Christian friendships. And for those friendships with friends that aren't Christians, see them become Christians so they can experience true Christian friendship. Lord, help us in this. Because the world is lying to us. It's giving us false images of friendship. It's telling us things that are not true. Open our eyes to see the truth. Fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit to live the truth. And let everything we say and do point to the truth that Jesus Christ is the best friend we could ever have. But he's also our Lord and our Savior, the King of the universe and the leader of our lives. We love you, we honor you, we worship and adore you. And we thank you for all this. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, we will continue next week and talk more about how to build these friendships. It's such an important thing. Uh, And I really encourage you to pray into this and press into this so that it's a reality in your life. Uh, It's so important for this time that we're living in, especially now. So let's close and worship the Lord.